Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Watari Dorgan. And with me, as always, is a man who has driven countless cars into lakes. I am the Adam Glass, and uh, what I like to do is get uh, car-based croquet. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Mounted near a lake so that everyone ends up in the lake. It's very... When you play car polo, uh, it's pretty much a demolition derby because yeah, yeah, the ball is, is so no small. Real, the ball becomes a real... The ball is so game. small. Uh that's essentially it's what they made. I, okay, let me be. Let's be real frank here. I have no idea what the rules for polo are. Are the pol- <laughs> rules for polo the same as the rules for water polo? Because I don't think they are. Because there's no horses in water polo. If I understand water polo correctly and polo correctly, which are two big ifs at this point, <laughs> yeah. I have actually played played water polo. Yeah, I yeah. Remember, water polo. I get uh, as part of like uh, you know um, junior high phys ed classes. Yep. In in Indiana, we'd go to the high school and play water polo in their pool, and is then it, mess around like, in the diving tank. Is for it a okay? Week. Have you ever seen Enterprise, the the Star Trek TV show Enterprise? Yes. And so, yes. like, Captain Archer's uh, sport is water polo, and I believe is he's it? from. I, don't I think he's from Bloomington, Indiana, in that show. Okay. Sure. And I'm starting to think that maybe water polo is a an Indiana thing. Maybe people in Indiana just like water polo because it's because it's fancy, but it's not too fancy. Right, it's not right, pretentious. right. It's you know, you it's pretentious, but everybody there. gets wet, so it kind of lowers everybody right. back down to earth. Right, <laughs> right, right. It's silly too. Yeah, maybe that's it. It's it's very Indiana. It's uh, probably just means that like Pennsylvania was really into water polo thirty years ago. So right, 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 right. Everybody in Indiana. Ah, oh, no, he's from upstate now. New York. Damn it. Yeah. Why did I think he was from Indiana? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> because Kirk's from Iowa. It just. Yeah, I mean, I feel like they cooked that one up last minute, honestly, but whatever. It doesn't yeah. act like a person from Iowa. That's fair. Um, <laughs> you know a lot of people from Iowa, so I trust you on that. I one. mean, I know a decent number of people from Iowa. Yes, I do. And most of them anyway, have, you know, not commanded any starships. Back back to the. That you know of. Back to true, the question. True, true. I'm pretty sure both games uh, ultimately are get the ball to the goal. That's my question. Does Polo games. on horses have a net slash a goal? Uh, I don't know that there's a goal slash goalie. Is it I like assume rugby? that it's not like an end zone because <laughs> that seems like it would be way too easy unless the ball is very heavy. <laughs> well, the ball is quite small, though. Polo, Polo does, in fact, have goals that cool. seem to take – the the quarter center of each individual side. Okay. I assume they don't have a goalie because that feels like it would be weird. <laughs> it would be awesome but... if there's just a dude sitting on a horse like in the middle of like a net. Be like, I'm going to stop that ball. Yeah, basically basically the polo field looks a lot like any regulation. Like other sport with field. a net. Yeah. Yeah. So my question, yeah. the, where I was really going with this though is beyond the polo thing, in this movie, which just seems like a weird non sequitur, honestly, yeah. um, is how did the car end up in the water? She's trying to start it, but she disengages the emergency brake before she tries to start. Right, it. and she rolls it into the into the water. Yeah, just very very shallow. But yes. yeah, no, it and doesn't like it, it doesn't out. submerge. It doesn't like ruin the car. Right, but it's like, but then watch, she puts it back. Yeah. And it's and then what it's like, happens to back up to the stairs as he's coming down, like 
I don't know. The timing of that whole section okay. is very confusing to me. I see. Because like because the way she backs up looks like she's doing it on purpose to get it into a better position, and he doesn't react to her driving the car at all. So no, yeah, no, anyway, which is actually that's I think what I, I like. Was I like the I fact that he's yeah. like totally doesn't care. Yeah, is an interesting part of this story actually. Right. That he's right. He's so intensely laid back. Before we get into the movie this week, I want to talk about our Patreon, patreon.com slash lost in criterion over there for just a dollar a month. You can get access to a bonus episode. We do a non criterion film. We have some fun with it. Uh, Speak for yourself. I never have fun over there. (laughs) Pat refuses to have fun. It's part of his MO. He's he's the not fun fun one. He's the, he, he's the sad cop. I'm the (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, exactly. This is a whole new dynamic Uh, that we don't see very often in uh, in cop shows. Sad cop anarchist. (laughs) Supporters get to vote on what we're doing. We put together a list and uh, let the supporters suggest a list if they've got one on the mind. Uh, Usually based on movies we watched recently on the main podcast, but not always. Sometimes just uh, what's going on in the world. What's uh, what's struck my fancy? What uh, sometimes struck the fancy of bursts awake from a dream and says like I've got it. The list. Marty. Yes. Sometimes while cleaning my bathroom, I slip and hit my head <laughs> yeah, on the toilet. Exactly. <sighs> and uh, it just happens. Should see a doctor. Um, don't see a doctor. Don't see a doctor. As of this recording, our last bonus episode over there was uh, on a couple of Buster Keaton movies with uh, Adam Spickerman. Uh, that was fun. with us, which was very fun. Yeah, it was good. Um, he suggested the list, so we let him. Uh, he's a supporter, and we... We let him uh, join yeah, us. Yeah, I mean, it seems to be the thing, right? You suggest fun. the list, you get yeah. to be on the the, sh- the episode if yeah, you want if to. The, if the timing works out. Yeah, um, if you don't mind waking up yeah. at weird hours. <laughs> Patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion. Like I said, that's the dollar tier. We do have a couple other tiers. $5, we'd like to thank those people on air. Obviously, you get access to the vote as well. Uh, we don't actually have anybody at the $5 Wouldn't it be weird right if we now? didn't let them have access to the other stuff? For like, uh, you can either get your name <laughs> said or you can vote. Like, choose, okay? <laughs> Uh, quick aside, um, <laughs> I saw a video this week of somebody who got a trophy from Five Iron Frenzy. Uh, that it's a judo trophy, <laughs> but it says "I hate Five, <laughs> Five Iron Frenzy" at the bottom. Uh, and the way he got that was in their most recent Kickstarter. He supported a tier that uh, got him a trophy, <laughs> but not the album. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, that's very funny. So there's nobody at the $5 mark right now because uh, everybody who had been at the $5 popped up to $10 over the course of the summer, and we're something very grateful we very that. much appreciate. At, yeah, $10, we do something that I think is pretty dang great. Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we've watched recently, and I get that printed up on a postcard and write a little personalized note, send that out, uh, though, uh, though most of last month's notes were all about the election. Because <laughs> why wouldn't they be? 
<laughs> it right. was on my mind. Sometimes sometimes I get um, bronchitis and it takes me two weeks to make the letter, the postcard. It happens. Yeah, yeah. Postcard, also apologize. Postcards were a little late this week, I think. Uh, well, maybe actually on time frame because I got them out the same day I received them. So okay. uh, that actually worked out a little better than it normally does. But anyway. Yeah, I got pretty uh, sick. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, yeah. It took a yeah, while to make the postcard. off. But, Good news is um, I made the postcard while kind of high, so I don't really remember a lot about it. <laughs> well, that explains why it was simplistic but but delightful. It's literally just Walker's face black and whited, but uh, you have changed his eyes to to uh, rusty blood red. Yeah, I did. Uh, they were really muted. bright, and I, I thought it was yeah. well. If it, they're too bright, it gets tacky. Uh, but thank you so much to Charlie Mueller, our most recent $10 supporter. Thank you. Uh, Christopher Otto, Jason Westhaber, Michael McGrath, uh, Patrick Yako, Jonathan Hapen, Adam Speakerman, uh, who are all supporting us. Yes, thank you very much to all of above. you. Yeah, greatly appreciate that. Uh, and those giving a little extra from $10. Really, really appreciate that. Again, that is patreon.com slash lost in criterion. This week, we are once again talking about a Louis Male film. Uh, our last Molly film we talked about, I believe, was Elevator to the Gallows, uh, which was Probably. a while back. Uh, yeah, that was yeah. like that was like a long time ago, right? I feel like that was a long time ago. It wasn't as long ago as you probably think it was. <laughs> um, it feels like a really long time. Because the the first trio of Malay films we watched was within the last three years. Yeah, I mean, but three years is um, kind of like when you consider how many movies we go through every year. Like, right? It it has a tendency to warp time. Elevator to Gallows was spine number three thirty five. The Lovers, I believe, is spine three about three thirty thereabouts. I mean, I'm not wait, the Lovers, directly. the Lovers, the one we just watched is like four something, isn't it? Four, four, four thirty. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. I said I was three, like, I'm like, three thirty-five was Elevator to Gallows. Four thirty is what we're at right now. Um, so yeah, that's uh, it's been about two years since we watched Elevator to Gallows. A little less than two years. Yeah, so. I mean, yeah, that checks out. It's, you know, but that to, yeah. around two years is a hundred movies. <laughs> right. Right. Give or take a um, little bit. So it's a lot. Interestingly enough, uh, <laughs> to to weird timings. And it being two years since we watched Elevator to the Gallows. Uh-huh. Uh, Elevator to the Gallows came out in late January 1958. And by the end of the year, Molly had written, produced, and put out The Lovers. Like, uh, right. But like, yeah, no, totally. Well, I, here, I don't want to mitigate out in September. that. Like, that is a crazy yeah. thing to say. Like, bear yeah. in mind, we also watch Japanese films where the guy, like, fucking director right, put right, out right. seven films a year for... 30 fucking years of his life. I'm not trying to downplay the, the accomplishment that is that because the lovers right, is right. pretty fucking amazing. Um, yep. But also like when you watch the interviews with Molly, it kind of feels like he gave birth rather than had a movie or like made a movie. <laughs> like the way he describes it is very like, I don't know how to like, I don't yeah. know how to put it into words, but like it almost feels like he, the way he talks about it is like, not the way one describes a thing where you did a process and 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 a result right, right, came right. out. Yeah, I, I get that. Uh, there's an Ohio connection for the lovers. Cool. Um, since I'm in Ohio, you know, I appreciate that Ohio connection. Uh, for the first time since I believe Sallow, 
we are watching a movie that was banned in Ohio. Nice. Wait a minute. Okay. So that what they're telegraphing here is that these two things are equivalent. <laughs> a movie. So we've got, and that really that no, kind of gives the game away, though, right? Doesn't that like banning this and banning Salo really gives the game away, right? Because Salo is yeah. is presumably banned for how graphic it is. This movie yeah. is not graphic. This movie features the the most terrifying thing: a woman making sexual decisions for herself. <laughs> yes, which is why it's bad. Uh, also, the breast. But well, come, on. I mean, yeah, but we okay. Yes. we've seen a lot of movies. There is one nipple in this movie. Okay, right. And we've seen a lot of movies, and I've seen a fair number of breasts at this point for this podcast. Yeah, and I'm pretty right. sure they didn't all get banned in Ohio. <laughs> Probably not. Okay, so the Salo thing, uh, which we certainly talked about with the Salo episode, which was so long ago, um, that was actually, I believe, 1994, maybe 96. Wait. Uh, someone in, yeah. Salo. They banned it in 1996? Uh, Salo led to a uh, court decision. Um, it didn't get outright banned, uh, but a, uh, a shop in Cincinnati um, was briefly shut down and its owner arrested for peddling obscenity because an undercover officer bought Salo there. Um, Did they know? I, yeah. In I 1996, was... let me be very clear here. <laughs> Ohio had pornography shops in 1996. <laughs> yeah, but you weren't allowed like, to sell that pornography in a regular movie shop, apparently. <laughs> like, are, are, are those like Lion's Den specially licensed? <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Wasn't the first hustler outside of Cincinnati at least? I'm that pretty early? sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I just remember like 19, uh, 1996, we definitely drove by like those Lion's Dens things when we went to visit my oh, grandma. Yeah, all the time. I'm sure they yeah. existed, right? Yeah. Anyway, um, so uh, so Salo is its own special creature in that it was, I don't think the state ever said like it's banned. Um, <laughs> We're just going to arrest you if you sell it. Yeah. Uh, whereas, well, it also got kicked out pretty quick because right, it was yeah. obviously it's you obviously um, can't do that yeah. yeah this one the lovers um it was it led to fines for a guy showing it in uh coventry village up in cleveland cleveland heights uh a criminal conviction for uh for obscenity for the theater manager and his appeal made it to the supreme court Jacob Ellis v. Ohio is one of the uh, one of the last sort of more nebulous obscenity Supreme Court things before an obscenity test sort of got uh, fleshed out. Right. Um, and the obscenity test is, you know, does it? It's obscenity if it doesn't have a purient or not a purient. If it has a purient, a purely purient interest, it is <laughs> it is obscenity by the Supreme Court. Uh, it is uh, it is obscenity if it doesn't have a scientific, uh, literary, uh, artistic uh, plot. That's why porn movies have plots, right? As as nebulous as their plots are, they have plots because if it were just sex on film, it would still qualify. Uh, under the Supreme Court's rulings on obscenity, uh, the other the other thing with obscenity is uh, uh, it is now based on uh, locality. So it's it's part of the decision is what the people living near where this case is from 
would consider obscenity, what an average person there would. So something obscene in, say, rural Ohio wouldn't be obscene in Right, but like you could pretty much carpet bomb that particular ruling based on the fact that like Pornhub exists in the entire United States. And we all know, like at that point, that's irrelevant. The internet age really changes that one. Anyway, uh, this is 1964, and uh, it is also famously... uh, the uh, Justice uh, Potter Stewart uh, said uh, on hardcore pornography, I know it when I see it, is a... a well, specifically uh, obscenity, right? Like, I don't know what it is, yeah, but I know it when I see yeah. it. Yeah, as the, the... Right, a well-known well-known quote. A well-known, uh, useless, meaningless thing to say. Yes. Uh, incidentally, Stewart was defending this film when he said that. Yeah. No, I, like, yeah, I get yeah. that. I mean, and, and yeah. that, it, but it's still, like, one of those things that, like, it's always famously, like... Yeah, I'm glad that that got said because now people get to say that all the time and act like it means a right. thing. <laughs> right, 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 right. So anyway, ultimately, uh, this movie was deemed not obscene by the Supreme Court. <laughs> I don't know because it uh, only has uh, this movie. Like, what a ridiculous thing in the first place. Another, uh, they cover this in one of the interviews and the bonus features on the on the Criterion release. Uh, but this movie was also severely edited in uh, Germany. Uh, to remove the child, uh, like because from it was the story, from the story. Oh right, Molly Germans, talks about that in the in the yeah. interview. I just didn't understand yeah. what they was like because yeah. they were the interview felt like it was kind of jumping around. I didn't entirely yeah. understand the context. Yeah, yeah. The oh. context is that uh, at least according to that information, Germany uh, German censors decided that the movie was fine as long as she wasn't running away from a kid. Child abandonment was the was the major issue for the German censors. Man, people are fucking weird, right? Like, yeah. Can we just like, we could just end the podcast. We just say that and not have the podcast anymore. People are like fucked up. This is weird. That we still have to we still have to have a little bit of the podcast. I, I, think. I meant like in general terms. We could just call it a day right. forever and be like, the you just publish the same clip every week. We're weird. For the rest of, like, I don't know, for 1,200 spine numbers. Yeah. Man, people are fucking weird. Done. Print. <laughs> right, right. That whole, the German the German censorship reminds me of, uh, we talked about um, Death of a Cyclist mm-hmm. a little bit ago, and Franco's How to Be a Good Lady um, oh, right. <laughs> mandate yeah. that led to Death of a Cyclist. Having the straight, like, dying. totally different ending, yeah. Yeah, yeah. This movie originally, um, originally to the book it's based off of, and the script that was adapted for Malé that he pretty much threw out, much to the screenwriter's chagrin. Um, she is she she faces some sort of punishment at the end. I don't remember if she dies or if they just don't run away. Um, maybe she commits suicide. I don't know. There's a lot of possibilities in there. Yeah. Um, but uh, but she definitely she is not rewarded. And while at the end of this movie there is some ambiguity, they are living in the tension of what they have done. Right. Uh, they are still content with their decision. For well, the time. right. I mean, right. reward. So. They're neither they're neither rewarded nor punished at the the, the end of this because I like, don't know. She gets breakfast. So not true. That's a that's a reward in and of itself, I guess right? So. so, I mean, I was thinking in a more grand scheme, I suppose. But I mean, what I mean is like usually in these sorts of stories, punishment is very 
clear. So a lack yeah. thereof feels like, I guess you could describe the lack thereof in itself as sort of being rewarded, I suppose. But I think, though, I mean, it very clearly is supposed to end super ambiguous because it's it's like they're even, she's even just talking in her head about, like, well, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I'm happy right now, I <laughs> right. guess. like, Right, right, right. We did it. I mean... And that's cool. I mean, that's yeah. a, it's a, it's a really, I'm really relieved that that's the ending of this movie. I was yeah. kind of, as we approached the end of the movie, I started to get nervous that that wasn't going to be the end of the movie. Yeah. There's um, something one of the essays says for our next film, which is also a Malay film, The Fire Within. Um, one of the essays in that one talks about how the Cahiers du Cinema guys, Truffaut, Romare, um, all had a certain right-wing in- inclination to them. And I think that really manifests in how they treat their women. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I would agree with um, that. And, of course, you know, a lot of a lot of the French New Wave across the board um, equates sexual freedom— um, with feminism, and and that is a major part of it. Don't get me wrong; I'm not trying to say that's not what it is. Um, but also, Truffaut and Romare, I think in particular, um, and and early uh, early Godard, um, their women are only uh, their only agency is sexual agency. Well, that. That's what I was going to say is like they're they're doing that thing (laughs) where you're like, well, I mean, well, because like if your if your story is about men and their sexual freedom, you're not describing feminism. You're 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 describing male sexual liberation, which is not a thing. Right. right. (laughs) Good job. Well, it is because it's never not been a thing. No, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. It's like it's not a it's not a it's not like this. Right. This desperately forbidden fruit that people are trying to like acquire. So it's like, yeah, the thing yeah. that's always been true. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. Uh, this is a movie that, unlike a lot of the other new wave stuff we've seen uh, outside of the works of Barda, certainly, right, uh, centers a woman's story and centers a woman's sexual pleasure as what she wants, right, um, and desires, and does not condemn her for it right yeah i mean this is this is and what i find really interesting is that like even the varda stuff which is super duper excellent yeah this has multiple sort does have like essentially like male 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 main characters like right i'm trying to think we watched with the varda films we watched um well uh what's it the happiness the mohanor I, I think I'm is trying one to that you're particularly thinking of. Love yeah. on Horror was the one where the guy has the affair with a woman who kind of looks like his wife, and, and she ends up right, sort right, of replacing right, right. the wife by the end of the narrative. Right. And then the um, other one, I mean, the, the, they're, you know, it's the that visiting that town. and, and, and Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, that one's a more nebulous because of the way that story is written, and there's kind of like kind of characters, but also kind of. Well, it's the story of the town, and then it's right, the story exactly. of the couple, but we still the the man and the couple was still sort of our point of view character in that we start with him right and we kind of center and, and, his emotions through and a lot I, of it 
Right, and that's this is not a negative comment about the Varda films because right. they are fucking excellent. They're films. both, yeah. But like, yeah. what I mean is, is this we even this is a, a her interior film. Like we hear right. her interior thoughts. Even like it, there right. is no doubt about who the main character and what and who this story is about. Yeah, if there's, I mean, on that very, you know, periphery, I suppose. Uh, but on that that indication, you know, this is much more like Cleo from five to seven. Yeah, than yeah, yeah. I would say the other yeah, Varda sure. films we've talked about, even. Yeah, you know, because it is it is centering a woman's emotional journey in a way that other films, even within the new wave, do not do. Right, right. Uh, yeah, I forgot even, about Cleo even five the to ones seven. That, that's yeah. Even the ones that are about, uh, you know, more overtly about. Uh, female sexual um freedom like jules and jim right uh, it's still you know jim. it's still about the guys yeah uh, <laughs> jules and jim are the <laughs> are the men in that in that trio and the woman is punished at the end right, right right you know it's still a very conservative sexual ethic within that film even as it is about a threesome right um this is a story about uh jeune about about the woman right about our female main yeah. character, Jean Moreau, uh, playing a character named Jean um, that was renamed Jean, and and apparently uh, from one throwaway line in one of the essays, uh, at this point, Malé and Moreau were having an affair. Um, Checks out. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> that's we've been that's doing very, French New Wave very for a while French now. Director of him. Yeah. Though, though, to be fair, at least, at least to their credit, uh, they are close to the same age. And Moreau was thirty when this movie came out. All right, right. So. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess, yeah, yeah. Um, and Male was not much older. I think he was a little bit older. Well, Male but, was uh, pretty fucking young when this movie came out. Right, right. Like right. in the interview uh, Malay, about this film, he's like, "Well, you know, I'm thirty now." And you're like, "Yeah, Male is actually hell, uh, man." Yeah, Molly's actually four years younger than Moreau. Yeah, it's like um, he was like twenty five when this movie came out, or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, thereabouts. Twenty five, twenty six. Crazy. Yeah, um, Moreau had also been in Elevator to the Gallows, and Elevator to the Gallows. There's you know, there's the sequence with in Elevator to the Gallows where Moreau's sort of walking around the streets of Paris without makeup, um, and it really sort of established her. Like like Male Male establishes Moreau in so many ways. She was in other films, but he most people, other directors, other cinematographers would only use her heavily made up. They didn't think her face was worthwhile on screen, <laughs> and it's very yeah, um, it's its own thing, right? Uh, so Male Male centers her as a leading lady, right? Um. And she is a phenomenal actress. And she's yeah. very good in this, and she's very good in in uh, Elevator to Gallus. Um, but uh, but yeah, she just it also made her made her a a type. I think of of uh, sort of a minx. I guess is is the colloquial. I mean, if you say so. I mean, I don't. Know. I don't know though. Yeah, I know yeah. what you're saying though. Uh, I mean, yeah. I do love the interview with her from from the time this I movie came out. I did not get to watch just, that. I only saw the Molly interview. A, I ran out. Of it's time. only a, 
that's fine. There's a there's two interviews with her on the DVD for this one actually, but the or on the Criterion Channel at least. Uh, but the one is from when this came out, and the other is from I think the seventies. Um, and the one with her when it came out is uh, is actually a pretty like out there as far because it seems like a news segment, but it opens with her sitting on the floor of her apartment. Okay. Uh, listening to like the the female reporter comes in and says oh are you listening to records she says oh though they're not records it's a music box and they're like they're they're tin tin records to put into a music box but she's still like flipping them out like they're records and she's listening to a polka when it happens it's very wow endearing is what it is um but yeah she's uh she's positioned as this sort of cultured and intellectual woman because she's not the drop-dead gorgeous uh, female leading lady that everyone else is still using even within the new wave, right? Um, right, not yeah. she's yeah. even unattractive. Like, you know, well, yeah, but she's that's, 30. That's, uh, these, but these, that's this I guess that's thing, the thing, right? So, right? And then if you start thinking yeah. about, like, as we talked about, the way that um, other French new wave directors deal with women and the fact that they're still fairly right wing in a lot of ways right like conservative in certain ways yeah yeah they they it's not surprising i mean like if we start thinking about like you know uh, yeah it's yeah it's it's not terribly surprising that like they their drive to get non-actors doesn't include getting people who necessarily look average Right. It right. just involves getting people who, like, I guess probably, I guess what, what what I always feel a little bit weird about with that is, like, every so often in my head, when they say, like, I wanted non-actors, I really, like, I start to process, like, you want people you can boss around. Right. Like, right. you know what I mean? Like, instead of, like, it being read as the way they want it to be read, which is, like, well, I want people who are naturalistic. Yeah. It really starts to sometimes feel like, Oh, you just want somebody who like won't stand up for themselves because they don't know jack shit right, about anything, right. and you right. can just be and an asshole, yeah. and no one will be like, "Hey, wait, you can't treat me like that." That's a very dark way of framing it. Yeah, but I think it was definitely true of, uh, say, Knife in the Water. Yeah, uh, absolutely. With the description of of their female lead, um, but it's also true of a lot of the Bresson stuff. It feels true, right. even if it isn't necessarily. That overt, and Male got his start uh, as an assistant for Bresson, right? And um, he even talks about sort of his Bresson influence showing through, right, right? Right. Right. Although Bresson has always struck me as is his own special, separate archetype of like a person <laughs> right, right. that, like, I I dare not start to describe because he is yes. There's Bresson's, something Bresson's special about Bresson. Of yeah, Bresson's use of non-actors was really out of a strict and consistent ideological. Right. Yeah, it never goes away. Uh, long right. after, like long after, it right. is no longer really even appropriate. He's like, yeah. if you fucking act, I am going to fire you. <laughs> yes, to the point where uh, the lead, I think, from Le Machette, or maybe uh, Bal- the the girl from Balthasar, was maybe what it was. Um, was really excited to work on a movie because she thought she'd become an actress. Right, and she's no like, yeah, I didn't learn because, anything. I'm useless. I'm useless. Preston didn't teach her how to act. Right. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, everybody else, 
post post resin um they entertain the ideas of that right the non-actors and then you know but then they'll just use stage actors instead right right <laughs> or, well and that's the thing yeah. right and then like and then a lot of our yeah a lot of our other um french new wave directors yeah they get it the first time they're not actors but then they're like four right. movies deep in with this person's like well at this point like yeah and Truffaut with 400 blows, certainly, you know, he's he's getting a non-actor because he wants a kid who will act Right, naturally. and that's a different right. thing, right? Truffaut and was... that's a different thing. Yeah, and right. and and that was kind of, honestly, I don't know, I don't remember the entire story, but it's often struck me that, like, Truffaut kind of lucked out because, like, kid non-actors are kind of the worst. Yeah. Like, kid actors are bad enough. Kid non-actors <laughs> are essentially boards with faces painted on them. That's fair. But obviously here, you know, we're all working with actual actors throughout yeah. the throughout the thing, right? I think the uh, the closest to a non actor we have, and even he had other acting experience. But the guy who plays Raúl, the uh, the the polo lover, uh, José Luis uh, de Villalonga, um, had been like a political essayist reporter right. uh, prior to this, but but he. You know, he was getting into acting and had done other acting before this too. Right. I mean, it um, shows. I mean, they they do have, especially the male the male characters, do yeah. have a especially well, especially him specifically have a he has a certain sort of bravado to his right his thing that right. works well because it like it, it matches the sort of polo player. It's got a very got a very distinct swagger to it, right. So it works out very well. Oh man, he is. Are we reading? Jose about is this not guy? only he is not only an aristocrat. He is the ninth Marquis de Castabel. <laughs> He's got a title. <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, and yeah, that's another another thing is. Oh, The Lovers was actually his first film acting role. At least I thought he had been in other movies before that. Interesting. Um. He's also in Breakfast at Tiffany's, by the way. Yeah, I was uh, looking at that. That's but, interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, he yeah. eventually is in a lot of movies. Yes, in- including Cleo as well. Um, oh, but, interesting. Uh, is he the? Oh, I didn't realize that. I know that that I didn't put two and two together there. That brings up an interesting aspect to this too, in that Molly himself comes from a moneyed background. Male mm. is the uh, the heir to a, a sugar fortune, um, but this movie is also one that is pretty much satirizing that class of people. Yeah, no, right? totally. Yeah, he he kind of lays into it like they're. Um, what scene is it? Is it this movie or that? I'm now I'm getting I'm starting to blend them together. But there's the scene where. They even t- oh yeah no because she talks about like oh yeah and he's like so and so is the like connected to this sugar fortune and then, then I think right, there's right, even right, that right. phrase used or something like that at one yeah, point yeah they uh, yeah yeah when she's when she's talking about uh, Bernard's family because right. Bernard's picked her up and he tells her her name and she says oh I know people with that same last name right, and he's right. like oh my cousin who I don't talk to at all. Avoid like the plague, he right? Says, and then literally. she goes on to describe those connections right. anyway that he yeah. clearly doesn't care. And then all of the cousins' family, <laughs> and, he, and he's, yeah, yeah. It's it's very silly. Everything when they first meet, 
the comedy of this film really ratchets it up right in in a lot of ways not just you know what you talked about in the opening with the car going into the water and her her desperately trying to turn this on and turn the car on even though you know she's she's got the automobile she's she's independent in that she has a car right you know that right that it, aspect of car society is true for france as much as it is true in the u.s too um but uh but like the the entire sequence at the at the uh the garage with the repairman yeah it's all just comedy where she it's all comedy it's all broad comedy too like she walks in yelling and and he yells back but we don't we don't see who's yelling back and then she walks up to the guy fixing the bike wheel and is yelling at him and he's not responding and then the the guy stands up from inside the car inside the truck and, and says says oh he's deaf he won't know you and then she's she demands help immediately. He says, "Well, I can't, I can't help you immediately." She demands help immediately. He says, "Well, I'm fixing the tow truck." So right? It's no, like, it's all, it's all. You figure this out. And then, and then she asks where the phone is, and the deaf guy tells her. Yeah, no, it's totally like, <laughs> so, it's all, yeah, it, it's, it's all, all that kind of guy. It's, it's actually, yeah. It's really, it's an, it's an, it's an interesting tone shift in this movie. Right there, right. Um. And I don't know, and it really plays off of those, like, the comedies that came before it, like, yeah. those kind of, like, sort of just, kind of just jokey that's, comedies. That's an interesting, an interesting aspect to this movie is that each act is sort of its own distinct yeah, yeah. theme, right, and and feeling. Like, the first act is the bored woman whose marriage is falling apart right, right. And, and having an affair it's a, it's essentially about yeah. that affair and, and then having the tr- an affair. and the sort and, of but having a socially acceptable affair, affair too right. right and then and she's then, sleeping with the other the well-off polo guy and he's not actually a threat to their marriage like the husband's not going to like it if he knew it explicitly was happening right, right. and 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 but, the the tension of that act is when yeah. it starts to escalate into the possibility that it is going to cause a problem right 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 Right. And then and then once that escalation is put into place, we have a comedic interlude yeah, yeah. Where, where her car breaks down and she meets someone completely new to the narrative. Right. Yeah. Uh, and it becomes it becomes a uh, a mid-century American uh, romantic comedy. Yeah. Is what it becomes for that. We're moment, like for we're that. like 25 yeah. percent of the way of like a road movie. <laughs> right, right. You know, Bernard could be Cary Grant right, easily yeah. here, right? Um, you know, he's not. He's he's playing a little closer to the chest than Cary Grant would have played it, but uh, but he easily could be. You know, it, it reminds me very much of Bringing Up Baby. Oh yeah, point. no, I mean, Except, it could be any yeah. of those movies, right? Like, it, it right. wouldn't even. You're. We're not that far off of even a fucking. We're like, there's no music, <laughs> but like, we're not that far off a way of like starting to get into the plot of a fucking musical or something. It's ridiculous. Right, um, right, 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 right. And then, and then, you know, given that the entire third act is an elongated sex scene. Yeah. It's, it's its own sort of thing that follows naturally from. Yeah. I mean, from act one, the, certainly the, act two, maybe less. It's a so, little but, bit of a break. Like act two yeah, is like right. a, it feels more like an actual interlude. Whereas act three yeah. very cleanly follows from act two fine without any yeah. it doesn't feel like a right. jump or anything you mean act one there but yes well yeah whatever right you know what i mean like yeah 
my my point right. is we go from we go from a comedic interlude into extended sex scene relatively smoothly right. without right. any right and and that sh- and that tonal shift is gradual enough that it doesn't feel like it's just a snap of the finger but you know right right and there's because the comedy only sort of exists for a set amount of time sandwiched in the middle of this movie right uh to the point where I was delightfully, delightfully surprised when it started becoming comedic. Yeah, right? it it helps though, right? Like it's it's actually yeah. kind of essential. Oh, you need it. For it otherwise, works. you end up. Uh, and we will see this with the fire within. You you. It is not that hard from watching Molly films to understand why everybody in America believes, at least when I was growing up, believed that, like the 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 connection between indie film and boring french talk only film <laughs> like it's not that hard to figure it out right like it's like yeah if you like yeah. were not super committed to watching it especially the right. next one we'll talk about this more it's just literally an hour and a half of people right. talking to each other in french right right, it just right. Is. at least here, at least here someone drives a car for a little yeah bit. someone drives a car so. and there's some comedy and it's legitimately yeah. funny comedy regardless of what language right. you speak right 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 yeah. Yeah. And and you know, I don't I say the third act is an extended sex scene. It's not just an extended no, sex but... scene, right? Because because it really it starts with her waking up at the end of that night. Um and even that has, you know, the it definitely becomes a different sort of comedy when they mm. get to the house, right? right? The dinner scene, it's its own sort of comedy with with the the bat getting in isn't as broad as they could have played right. it, right? Certainly, but um, but itself is is a little thing. But but like when he's talking, when Raul was talking about Russia, and and they talk about uh, um, he talks about Russia being he didn't see anyone. Oh uh, yeah, they have a, a we- bicycle they have a... or a dog, and they have a very they have a very. Uh, xenophobic conversation about Russia. Yeah, was it that's a really interesting part because like it kind of started me wondering like what was Molly like yeah. I don't know anything I don't Well, I think know. Molly's trying to talk talk about these guys being disconnected from the proletariat is what <laughs> what right, absolutely. trying to do right there, right? It, it's just really um, interesting because like it, it is a very their conversation is really specifically an odd one. Yeah. Like it is yeah. just an odd then, conversation that they're having, and and you know the the husband asks Raúl uh, something you know you were there as a tourist something about connection. Oh, then you, and, well, no, and yeah, Raul, he's like, oh, Raul, you were there as a Raul, you were there as a tourist. Oh, you yeah. didn't see Russia, right? And 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 Raúl says, well, I I I felt Dostoyevsky and Chekhov and and whoever else he mentions. Oh yeah, I mean they're having the bougiest conversation humanly yeah. possible. Right. Like, don't get me and wrong. Then, and then the the lady the the other woman the friend says oh he knows people everywhere when he mentions Dostoevsky and that's a very broad joke yeah that too, is very right? much just a know? just a <laughs> right. comedy line <laughs> right. out, out of out of a like mid century American <laughs> right. comedy yeah absolutely right 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 yeah so you know there's still the comedy there and then this the comedic aspects pretty much stop when right. she gets up. Puts on her nightgown and her pearls, <laughs> right, and goes to talk to this guy again. Um, 
And then they have the walk, and they fall in love, and they take the boat ride, and then they have sex, and they have a bath together, and they have sex again, and then they wake up in the morning, and everybody knows they've slept together, and then they leave together. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, well, it's about, it's a, it is an, it, it, it's interesting because Molly in this circumstance is using actors but is talking is presenting a very sort of nat at this point the movie gets very naturalistic with regards to sort of like it doesn't jump it, like the the scenes don't jump in a way where like in a lot of like r- romantic comedies and stuff you need to skip time because you need a relationship to develop right. faster than the time in the film will allow Whereas this yeah. is very Obviously. much an actual whirlwind thing right. happening right. in real time Obviously, in front of us. Yeah, it's not exactly real time, right? No, of no, course, not perfectly. But, but, no. but it's pretty dang close. Um, you know, what uh, I mean is we don't get like a one week later or one. You know what I mean? Where right. we the, right. the we as an audience get a pretty realistic understanding of how quickly this is developing. Right, and and how natural it is developing and that's what that's what molly gets in trouble with in ohio for actually portraying this naturally one one thing in an interview he said on one of the one of the interviews that i really loved is that the entire history of cinema is panning to windows right yeah 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 yeah. uh (laughs) and he just doesn't pan to the window we watch the whole thing happen uh organically naturally and you know it's not it's not shot like pornography of course um, right, but, but like he, one would never t- argue actually that pornography is yeah. naturalistic in its representation <laughs> right, right. of anything. It's all, right, right, it, but it's also not shot documentarily. No, is, right. Is, I yeah, suppose what I really mean there. Not David you know, Attenborough not, thing. It's like right, animals. Right. He or doesn't. Something. He doesn't have the camera mounted in the window, watching the whole room. Right. Right. Uh, but uh, but the the focus then is just on her face, on her reactions to mm. the sexual moment right and that's that is abnormal for film especially at the time yeah but not not that abnormal even today right um at least in in wide release films certainly but uh but yeah so it's it's yeah no i mean it's it is it's innovative it is very innovative is what i mean to say and yeah. then the way and what i think really cements it as innovative is the way it ends right like right if molly had gone with the script that you described or apparently the book it it would kind of ruin the innovation that is this film in a lot of ways right the fact that they just go and that sets a sort of template for future movies that some of which we've encountered some for this podcast some of which we haven't where like Though there are, there's a certain class of film that I, I guess I can come to understand, literally might be based off of this film, of yeah, the sort of runaway film where it ends ambiguously as they just sort of drive off. I think you're thinking specifically of say the end of the Graduate. Yeah, something where, like the Graduate is where there are other films the bus, like that. Yeah, yeah, but they're sitting on the bus and the, uh, the it's silent, but the realization of what they've done. And the thinking that this is probably a mistake is clearly on their faces. Right. right? But they've committed to it. It's happening. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Whereas here it is less, I mean, that's much more overtly ambiguous or uh, much, much more overtly 
uh, that, set, right? True. Right. It's not ambiguous. It is more ambiguous in this movie because they they are living in a tension here, right? Whereas Dustin I mean, Hoffman at the Dustin Hoffman at the end of the Graduate, at least the way I've read it, isn't yeah, well, living in a tension. He's realizing a mistake, right? Well, the Graduate right? also is <laughs> is much more judgmental in general as a film, <laughs> right? Um, right? Like. Right. There are, but we again. There are other films. I'm I'm trying to. I can't pull exact yeah. examples, but there are yeah, like no, but. there are movies that very purposely choose to have the lovers drive off, right. and we don't know what happens to them. They've made their decision. They're driving off, and this is just the way it ends. Um, and that's a thing. But like, it's I I would imagine maybe this is where it becomes a thing that exists at all. Probably right. Um, another really great thing from from the interviews with him, and I I don't really want to spend. I hate when we spend more time talking about the peripherals than, than right. the actual movie, but but I really think this is very interesting because we've seen a lot from Molly, and we've seen a lot from Molly across his life, right? And we like Molly, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, with the exception of the first movie from the three films from Molly box set, which we weren't really into because it's about a twelve year old who wants to have sex with his mom. Um, yeah, no, but, we were not. Yeah. We did not like that one but, very much. But. but even that, by the end, by the end of those three, I think we had a better understanding of that movie, and maybe at least could accept it for we what it was. We got it. I think we yeah. got it by the time we were <laughs> right. done with the box right. set. I don't know right. if we would right. still like recommend right. it to our friends or something. Right. But right, certainly, certainly. Um, but there's a bit in Male where the uh, or in the interviews where the interviewer asked Male, um about his background and about coming from money and if he thinks his career would be the same if he had been poor. And Molly starts off really weak in that answer, in my opinion, mm-hmm. because he says, I don't think there would have been a difference. And then, Which is some horse shit, right? Like it's just which some is real grade A horse right? shit. And then he immediately pulls back from that in, in, in good ways. He says, uh, he starts off saying, I think my career would be the same if my family were in poverty, um, but then immediately says, well, at the beginning it would have been harder. Well, in the end, I know that the great advantage of being wealthy is not having to worry about tomorrow, <laughs> right? Right. And the freedom, the freedom of having money, uh, and that maybe having to worry about tomorrow is a good thing to keep you grounded and put things into perspective. Right, you know? but there's... So a, he... Yeah. Yes. He immediately... He immediately pulls back He from, does still from, biff it right. a little bit because that, like, well, maybe, like, having to worry about tomorrow is a good thing is, <laughs> right. is a horseshit right. answer. Right. That, he's, that only he's people starting, with money get to say. Right. In right. this world. And the fact that that interview is when he's 30 years old, right, I think is also very important for... for broader context right. of the yeah. things the things he's understanding the world as and and will eventually like like a lot of the french new waivers and particularly the cahiers de cinema guys it's easy to entertain leftist leanings as an intellectual exercise when you don't have to worry about money right right yeah when you are when you're going to be fine no matter what right. well that's that's the thing right and that that has always been sort of like one of the sort of black eyes on the um the french new wave at least right. the the cars of cinema guys is the fact that like all their sort of like edginess always sort of to a certain extent sort of has a, a champagne socialist sort of 
vibe right, to right, it. Right, it's always got right. this sort of like, oh yeah, like we're very we're very high minded. We're very like we're thinking this way, and it's like you you are in a you don't like it's that like that lack of recognition of privilege that you can actually see in that interview. Molly process live on the spot the idea that like. <laughs> right. No, of course your life would not be the same if <laughs> right, you like right. if your family couldn't just pay to make sure things happen. Like, yeah. what are you and even I, talking about? And I commend him for, <laughs> for that thirty-year-old after all this, at least getting that far, right? Absolutely. In an interview, right? <laughs> right, live on the spot, being like, "Oh, right, yeah, hmm. right." Uh, yeah, it's a very good question that apparently I've never thought never about once before. thought about in my thirty years. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, and, and that's the thing is, right? I think the flip side of that is I get the impression from a lot of the French New Wave that either they've never been that, asked that question or they right. sort of sidestep that question mentally and never really had to, right. never force themselves yeah. to process it at all. Godard eventually falls in with people who force him to reckon with that. Right. 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 And I'm not, <laughs> Romare almost certainly does not. Right. <laughs> For instance, right, right, and and Malay only sort of starts to at this point, and we'll see a little bit more of that with the fire within next week. I think that there's certainly some background stuff that we can talk about there, but uh, but you know, ultimately, by the time we get to say uh, Le Comme Lucien or definitely Au Revoir Les Infants, he right. is it's, it's, taking we're, much clear pot shots at French society. Right. He is a much clearer thinking person at right. that point. Yeah. I mean, particularly in regards to World War II, but more broadly, too. Right. Right. And, and the know. part of the flaw of that is like, well, you know, I mean, like, you're, you, you're a 25 year old who like hit a big hit, right? Like, right. 25 right. years old is a little young in terms of like, pure self-actualization right like if we're being honest right like it, it is right. it is early enough that you're like edgy without maybe having thought about like everything that your existence entails with regards to other people and things right. like that and a 25 year old writing a satire about the rich people he grew up around while still maintaining and probably using right the funds from that is a different sort of thing, you know. Mm-hmm. And honestly, as a successful, you know, eventually, all of the people, you know, we talk about here, uh, with with maybe the exception of Varda, you know, their success lends them the financial stability to continue doing right, these things. Right. So, you know, at least it becomes self Well, and, and that's that what point. makes Varda but, the best, is but, that Varda is the only pure, <laughs> the only sort of pure auteur here in that way, is that, like, right. Varda's, like, Nope. Yeah. Just how she, it's just how good do it. With, where she started with her mom selling a bunch of stuff. And frankly, and it kind of feels co-op. like ends with her mother right. just kind of selling some stuff. Right. 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 Now, eventually, you know, she no, I know. she marries Remy and, and they become. I understand um, it. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Varda just has this but, feel like even like yeah. however old Varda is in any given interview. It's like, nope, this is this, definitely the same lady. Right. So this as satire of the upper class, you know, we don't get, I, I think again of Death of a Cyclist where we have um, such an explicit dichotomy between an upper and a lower class. Right. Whereas here, um, 
you know, even Bernard is, he's rejected the society he's come from, but he's still from that society. And he's an archaeologist, right? So it's not like, like he's, he's that mid he's the right. third son who became a priest. Right. No, yeah, is. totally. Whereas, right? whereas in actuality, like, I, I, yeah, no, never mind. Sorry. I was just thinking yeah. about like the fact that like, we're talking about that actor that is in this movie and it's like, oh yeah, yeah. no, the third yeah. son's just become actors. That's the new right. the new thing that they become, but no, yeah, right. no, it's and we deal with that with we're gonna deal with that with the fire within as well. Like to a certain extent, still Molly has this perspective though that like that's the kind of person he writes about is like oh yeah, the, like the rebel in this movie is still very clearly a member of the bourgeoisie. <laughs> right, right, right. Like intensely. whereas the only the only like lower class people we have here are are the repairmen, right, and. Right, and possibly like, yeah, no, all the all the people in the service class that we right. do encounter, like we do yeah. encounter a and few. And that's another interesting aspect to this. Maybe is that the the guy who plays their butler, uh, mm. Cadre, is uh, the groundskeeper from the rules of the game. Oh, really? Right? Okay. And that's like that's like a conscious choice too, right? Right. To to talk about Male channeling the inherent uh, class satire. Of, of the rules of the game, in in putting that guy into this movie, and I think that's that's right. something that's something it feels to me like Molly was thinking about when he did, right? Yeah, I mean, I can see that that being a, a choice. Yeah. Um. Yeah. You know, not not that not that this really has anything else in common with rules of the game, right? But, but yeah. It's still well, but that's still that, 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 uh, not to be mean, but that that is sort of also like that's that sort of like very young floundering a little bit like class politics, class politicking, right? right? Where you're like, well, I need I'm going to include this guy. I mean, I found this is the actor from that movie, <laughs> right, right? And I want to, I like, I kind of want to say something, but maybe I I'm not really yeah. committed to making this a movie about that, right, right, and that's. You know that's that's also a very a very easy fallback for someone in the position of Molly, and I think other directors have done it, and and maybe young people, young filmmakers in general, have this same sort of mistake where they think that a reference is itself a point. Right. Yeah. Like. Right? Oh, well, I'm, I yeah. I mean, I where, need to. Where he thinks he might be saying something much broader than the actual text or even the subtext is saying by, by just having, having that actor Gaston Modo like there, yeah. right? Um, yeah. <clears throat> and again, he's twenty four when he made this movie, so like, right? No, and maybe, again, we can forgive. Know, there's plenty of of yeah. young, brilliant people too, right? You know, and people who who don't make those mistakes, but at the same time, there are plenty of young people well, who and, do. Well, and if you and if you look at it as a sort of grand total scheme of the whole thing, the movie is very successful in this in the other things that it's doing that are are fun, right, more right. fundamental to the plot anyway, which is yeah. about this woman going through this sort of. Uh, series of experiences with her own sexuality and things like that. That's that's very successful here. So like, yeah. his class politicking sort of being kind of mediocre at best in this film is probably a, a forgivable sin that we can. Yeah, we don't really. And the other, the other aspect of that class class politicking, um, besides the repairman, um, there is an aspect to, and I think this is fair of a lot of 
the new wave people, France and Italy, uh, particularly, I think, where uh, this documentary view of the working class uh, is also an aspect of, of how they're getting into class politicking. Um, and I think the the walkthrough of the newspaper is also that because it's a right. it's a lot of long yeah. shots. Um, nothing really lingering or, or no tender views of the work actually getting done, but right. we see the full process as she walks through the factory too. Right. right. Yeah. And it so. makes me, and, and the, the thing about that is, is again, you know, with him being so young in this and stuff, it, there's, there's that thing where we, I don't, we, maybe we've talked about this before where there's this sort of confusion among a certain type of, how do I? This is a complicated sentence I'm going to make. <laughs> where like showing the thing is the same thing as saying a thing about the thing, right? Like, right I did, I right. showed it. I showed people the real world or the real man. It's like, yeah, but you didn't say anything about that. Like you didn't you didn't right, make a right. point. You just said like, and like yeah, one can argue that like oh at, you know as we have in the past editing choices and things like that are saying something. They are they do represent your bias, but like. At the same time, sometimes you you have to say more than just, oh, well, I did a long shot. I did, I, I did a wide shot right. of this room of people working hard. Look at me. I am the friend of the working class. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. So like that, those are right. like that's a that's a pol- that's like a political ad thing, right? Like uh, here's a long here's a long shot of a of some dudes working at a car manufacturing plant. Right. I'm a friend of the working class. Right. And it's not the way it's utilized here isn't in the same way no, as no. say something like again death of the cyclist is on my mind because i actually edited it this week yeah post, i can tell it's it's know, it's in your it's in your right. head right but but even them you know like the the french new wave or the italian neorealism stuff like uh, uh il posto you yeah know, no which that. definitely do but right. those are those legitimately when we get into some of them are at least do also have the the element of right actively pretty much trying right. to say something yeah. About that. And if thing. we're trying if we're trying to make a sort of, you know, this is satire of the upper class, so it's not necessarily trying to uh, but we get just enough hints at the other half, right? right? Of the lower class and how they live and what they're doing that it feels like Male's trying to maybe say something but right. doesn't necessarily And, and that's know what, what I was kind of getting at, that sort right. of weird yeah. Like we're in a this is a weird sort of pseudo middle yeah. state where yeah. it's sort of floundering twenty five year old trying to maybe say something, maybe not say something, flirting yeah. with it a little bit, but not really like getting into it. Right, right. Olmi and Bardem, they knew what they were trying to say with their movies, right? Um whereas whereas Molly at this point doesn't know right doesn't feel like he knows explicitly what he's trying to say. Certainly, by the time we get to Au revoir the influence, yeah, no, like, yeah, the, and, that's, and that's probably, I think there's a <laughs> certain amount of maturing right. that's involved there, right? right? Like, just, as you get older, you're more, yeah. unless you are very, in a very privileged position, as you get older, you are more yeah. forced to just deal with what are your politics, what do right. you actually And believe? I think even by the time we get to the fire within, again, we'll talk about more with the next episode. Yeah. He has a better understanding of what he's trying right. to say, and that is even a movie, as you already said, that is fully, fully encased in an upper class yeah. um, world as well. So, yeah. Well, I think you know, I'm, I'm, 
sort of chomping at the bit to talk about the fire within. This is the first time we've done two episodes in one recording session for a while. So yeah, we're uh, bad at it. As it so turns out, we're, to, we're bad at yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so maybe it's time to 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 pull this one to a close and 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 move on. Just go uh, do that we've one. Been yeah. About, yeah, we've been talking about the lovers from Lule Malay from 1958, starring uh, Jean Monroe. Um, She'll uh, she'll make a brief appearance in the in the next film as well, uh, but next week will be the fire within from 1963. Uh, look forward to talking about that, obviously, because we've already started talking about that. So, mm-hmm. uh, uh, I am as always the Adam Glass with me as always John Patrick Oatari Dorgan, and we'll see you next time. Listening to Lost in Criterion, hosted by John Patrick Oatari Dorgan and the Adam Glass, who edits it. We're a production of WithTwoBrains.com. Jonathan Hape does the music. Check him out at JonathanHape.bandcamp.com. And hey, if you like us, why don't you give us a review on iTunes, like us on Facebook, and support us on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash lost in criterion. We'd appreciate it.